Well, good morning, church. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Psalm 130 this morning as we continue through our series called Wisdom and Worship. We are almost finished with our series through the book of Psalms. Uh, As you're turning there, let me go ahead and say a couple of announcements. If you RSVP'd for our membership class today, it will be immediately following service. We got lunch provided for you. And so it'll be uh, directly across the hall, across the lobby in the student center. And uh, Katie Mansell should be in there waiting for you and uh, ready to welcome you. If uh, Another one, if you have not finished living out your glory days on the diamond and you want to go out like Freddie Freeman with a home run, feel free to sign up for our softball team. Um, uh, it's still painful. Okay, so um, finally, I want to thank you, church, for uh, loving my family and allowing us to have a great week of vacation last week and then being able to come back and sit on the pew and just worship with you. It was a, it was a fantastic time, and I just want to thank you uh, for uh, pouring into my family and, and uh, allowing us to have some much-needed rest. And so uh, thank you so much for that. Jonathan, you did a fabulous job leading last week. You've grown leaps and bounds over the last three years that we've had you here, and we, we just, uh, we're excited to see you continue to grow as you serve here. So uh, good job, brother. Psalm 130. All right, here we go. A heart prepared for worship. Psalm 30 is out of a a section of psalms called Psalms or Songs of Ascent. These were songs that were sang as the people of um, Israel would make their way towards Jerusalem up on a hill. They would sing these in preparation for corporate worship. They would sing them as they would walk there for one of the main festivals And uh, they would sing any of these songs from 120 to 134 to prepare themselves for worship. Did you know that we need to prepare our hearts for worship? I I heard one one, uh, mentor of mine, I'm pretty sure he's sitting here somewhere today, say that uh, worship begins in our hearts on Saturday night. That we begin to prepare ourselves for worship. Because corporate worship is a gathered expression of personal worship. Corporate worship is a gathered expression of personal worship. And so if we're not personally worshiping, even though we're gathered, we're not engaging in a corporate worship. So corporate worship needs preparation. Often we lack the desire for corporate worship because we have failed to prepare our hearts for personal worship. So this morning, as we walk through this Psalm 130, we're going to talk about preparing ourselves for worship. So 130, if you have your Bibles there, I'll be reading out of the ESV. 130, a song of sense. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I'll wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen in the morning, more than watchmen in the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can hope in your word. We thank you for the the call of corporate worship that first is expressed 
personally in worship. Lord, we thank you that our hearts are drawn to you by the presence of your spirit. So Father, as we engage in worship, as we engage in reading and studying your word, we pray, Father, that you would write your word on our hearts, that you would mold us and shape us into the very image of your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would be sanctified in you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your church. We thank you for how you've called us and how you've gathered us. We thank you for the expression of worship through song. We thank you for the gifts that you've given. We thank you for the new day. We thank you for the dawn. We thank you for the sun that rises. Father, shine on us today with your presence. In Christ's name, amen. First thing, prepare your heart for worship with a cry for mercy. Prepare your heart for worship with a cry for mercy. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas. Out of the depths I cry to you. Oh, Lord. Have you ever been in the depths? Out of the depths, the psalmist is crying. As we think about this being a psalm of ascent, a song that is being sung in preparation for worship, he's coming from the depths. Have you ever felt so overwhelmed by the situation or the circumstance that it feels like waves of uncertainty, depression, and despair are crashing over you? There are times in the life of a believer where we cry out out of the depths. I'm reminded of the great psalm, it is well, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Worship out of the depths. The psalmist is feeling the agony of the depths. There are times in our lives that due to circumstances beyond our control, we are overwhelmed and drowning in sorrow, and it is from there that we should cry out to God. However, this psalm is not referring to those circumstances. This psalm describes the agony of a person who has fallen into sin, and the guilt is unbearable, and they need God's forgiveness and restoration. When you pray for forgiveness, is it a cry from the depths of sorrow and remorse? What an interesting thought. As you prepare your heart for worship, as you sing a song of ascent, as you're working your way towards the corporate worship, there's this realization that there is sin that enters the life of a believer that causes this separation, that causes this agony, that causes this feeling of, I'm in the depths here. I'm in the darkness. I feel isolated and alone. And the reason is because our iniquities isolate us from intimacy with God. Our iniquities isolate us from the intimacy that we should have with God. And the closer we get to worship as we come together corporately, the more we realize that the sin that has clinged to us throughout the week, throughout the month, however long it's been, the things that have clinged to us have been there in a, in a way that separate us from an intimacy. And the closer we get to God, the more we realize, oh, out of the depths, I cry to you. I cry out in desperate need. James Vaughn put it this way, everyone prays, but very few cry. Oh, I prayed. I prayed about it. I, I mean, I just, I'm not seeing anything happening. Let me ask you, was it out of the depths? At the acknowledgement of the sin in your life that has so easily entangled you, as the writer of Hebrews says. This reminds you of an Old Testament character, Jonah. 
You remember the story of Jonah, right? You, you probably learned it with a felt board, maybe if you're older, and there was a giant fish, and uh, he got swallowed by the fish. You know, so Jonah, he was a prophet, and he was supposed to go to Nineveh, which would be modern-day Mosul, Iraq. So a lot of us would say no to this assignment, right? We're like, nah, I'm just going to pass on that one. So he was uh, told, hey, I want you to go, and I want you to preach to the Ninevites. And he's like, no, no, I don't know. I don't think that's a great idea. I don't think that's where I want to travel. So how about I just jump on a ship and go in the complete opposite direction of that? And uh, sure enough, that's what he did. And his disobedience to God, he allowed sin to creep into his life. And as he's riding out the consequences of that great storm, he gets thrown overboard. And as you know, he gets swallowed by a great fish. And then there's chapter two. What happens when he's in the depths? Well, let's read it together. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Do you see that he is crying out out of the depths, and when he's doing that, he recognizes that he's been driven away from the sight, that his, his sin, his iniquities, have isolated him from the intimacy that he had with God because he has chosen to walk in disobedience to God. The closer we get to God in worship, the more we recognize the, the things that we've allowed into our life that have then hurt the intimacy that we should have in worship. Let's keep reading. Verse five, the waters closed over me, to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered you. I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Out of the depths, I cry to you. I want you to notice that Jonah, he cries out, he prays from two different locations. It says there, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. He's in the belly and he's praying. There's a different word there if you look it up. But it wasn't until Jonah was in Sheol that he cried. Sheol in death. Out of the depths, I cry to you. Oftentimes, we see sin as an inconvenience to our worship, but not as something that separates us from our worship. And sometimes we are willing to pray because oh, I'm in a pretty bad situation here. I, I shouldn't really be here. I should not be in the belly of a fish. This, this is not working out the way I want it to, but it isn't until we feel the depths, the darkness, the depression, the separation, the agony of Sheol that we cry out, out of the belly of Sheol, meaning that Jonah, Jonah prayed and he died. And so Jonah is a perfect picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's why Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, 38 through 41, as he's talking to the religious guys. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. 
But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah. Jesus, as he is on the cross in Matthew 27, 50, says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. As Jesus hung on a cross, not for his disobedience, but for our disobedience, as he felt the separation of sin being placed on him from the Father, he cries out out of the depths and God hears his voice, and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of the earth in a resurrection that if we will place our hope and trust in him, we too can share in that resurrection. Jesus is greater, and so we cry out, out of the depths. Charles Spurgeon put it this way, it matters little where we are if we can pray. Any of you pray in the car? Please don't close your eyes, right? Please don't close your eyes and bow your heads if you're in the car praying. It matters little where you are when you pray, but prayer is never more real and acceptable than when it rises out of the worst places. Deep places beget deep devotion. Have there been times in your life where you've allowed sin to enter into your life and you felt the depths of it and you've cried out? Those are, those are prayers and those are moments where you cry out and God changes things in your life, changes things in your heart because you no longer want to be in the situation that you're in. This is where the psalmist is as he, as he walks towards worship. Out of the depths, I cry to you. I have recognized the fact that I've allowed things in my life that shouldn't be there. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. He wants God to hear his cry. Have you ever felt like God just doesn't hear your prayers? God, I've been crying out, and I've got no answer. Things are not getting better. And I look at your faces, and I know some of your stories, and I know the pain that you go through. Out of the depths, I cry for you to be attentive to my voice. Please hear me. We're asking for God's punishment upon us and the consequences of our sin to end. I no longer want to be here. For the sinner who is dead in their sin, they cry out from Sheol, It's a plea of repentance and a cry for God's justification. But for the believer, who is no longer dead in their sin, but is distraught by the sin that is in their life, it's a cry of repentance for God's sanctification. God, do a work in me. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever new. With the men on Wednesday night, I shared a a quote from Martin Luther in his commentary from Romans, and I want to share it with you. He says, we're not so utterly freed from sin by faith that we can be idle, lazy and secure, as though sin did, not, did no longer exist. He's like, though we're, though we're saved, we can't continue through our Christian walk idle, 
lazy, pretending like nothing's gonna happen because sin does exist. There still is sin. But for the sake of faith, which battles with it, it is not imputed for condemnation. I want you to understand this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. If you have put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ, the sins that you as a believer are wrestling with are not to your condemnation. They've been paid for by the blood of Jesus. They've been washed clean. But it doesn't mean that they're not any more real in the separation and the depths that they bring you to. Hence, as long as we live, we have all we can do to tame our body, to mortify its lust, and to force its members to obey the spirit and not the lust. It's a battle, is it not, believer? By doing this, we share the death and resurrection of Christ and perfect our baptism, which typifies the death of sins and the new life of grace. Until we become completely rid of sin and rise with Christ also in our bodies and live forever, amen? There is a hope that is coming. Unfortunately, those who are idle and lazy followers of Christ find themselves in all sorts of sinful situations. And the closer they get to worship, the more they recognize, oh, out of the depths, I cry to you. Often we wander off the path. We become ensnared by sin and entangled by it. And we're pulled away from intimacy with God. You see, if you're justified with Christ, your sins are no longer condemning you to eternal punishment, but they are corrupting you. They are corroding the relationship of intimacy you have with the Father through Jesus Christ. And so when we recognize that there is accepted sin in our life as a believer, we cry out of the depths. As John Piper put it, Faith is not merely believing that Christ died for our sins, but also that he is far better than, than sin. He's far better. Unfortunately, many believers, and maybe, maybe this is you, maybe you've been here, you say you have faith in Christ, you say you believe he died for your sins, but you're not convinced that obedience to Jesus Christ is better than the sins that you're participating in. Can I say that again? Sometimes we say we believe in Jesus Christ, that we have faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that he has died for our sins, but yet we are not convinced that obedience to Christ is better than the sins that we're participating in. And if that's us, that's not faith, that's foolishness. And when that foolishness takes over our life, it puts us in the depths. Because accepted sins and iniquities are only isolating you from intimacy with God. You and I will never have a heart prepared for genuine worship if we do not first have a heart of repentance. So number two, prepare your heart for worship with a confession of sin. So you're gonna cry out and now you're gonna confess. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Let me ask you, does God keep a record of our iniquities? I mean, think about that. Is there really a ledger? Is there like a list? Is there a file cabinet? How big is that file cabinet, right? Of every single sin that you've ever committed? I mean, think about that. Every thought, every word, every action, every sin of 
commission, every sin of omission, things that you didn't do that you should have done, every single thing. Is there a list? The psalmist here is like, if you, if you should mark iniquities, if you, were to, if you were to take count of every single thing, who could stand? Who could stand before a holy, holy, holy Lord with that many things on their list? Can you imagine if there was a list and we were able to read it aloud of all the things that you thought, said, and did this week? What if you were judged by everyone by that list? What if people really knew what was in your heart? There is a holy God who does. And if he was to take account of every single thing, who could stand? You see, a lot of times we think that we're good because our goodness is based on other people's badness. But if we were to take a list of all of our things and stand before a holy God, oh, who could stand? That's why Jesus, again, just above where he was giving the sign of Jonah, said this in Matthew chapter 12, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Every careless word. Well, then praise be to God that that ledger has been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord have salvation in him. As the psalmist prepares his heart for worship, he takes an account of the sin that is in his life. He recognizes that he is in the depths. He recognizes that he cannot stand before a holy God in worship without first confessing the sins that are in his life. So how many crimes do you have to commit to be found guilty before a court of law? One, right? Like just one. So how many sins do you have to commit to be found guilty before a holy God? Yeah, just one, right? Just one. So show of hands, how many of you have less than one sins on your ledger? Good, you're not, you, you are paying attention. Nobody raised their hand, that's good. I, was, I knew that someone would be like, what? Oh, uh, oh, I wasn't paying attention. That's why Paul writes in Romans 3, 20 through 24, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. If you're counting on your goodness, if you're counting on your works, if you're counting on religion, you will not stand. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It is not something you earn. It is not something you deserve. It is a gift of grace that wipes your ledger, your list clean. 
you guys can't do that to me. Okay? I literally just almost had a heart attack. I don't know. What was it? Okay, number one, if you're listening online and you have no clue what just happened, a squirrel appeared behind me at the wrong time for the wrong illustration. So, so what we were saying was, <laughs> Can you imagine, you know, just a whole room of people just going, oh, <gasps> right. uh, I'm going to have to recover from this. Okay. By the grace of God, the gift of God, that squirrel will not appear again until I finish. So, um, for all I've sinned and fall short of the glory of God <laughs> and are justified by his grace as a gift. As we approach in worship, as we worship the Lord, we recognize that we have sin in our life that drags us into the depths. We then confess that sin because we no longer want it to be there. And we know that it is only by his grace that he washes us clean. Psalm 103.10, as we looked at a few weeks back, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Isaiah 53, 5-6, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all so that we can be washed clean. Verse four. But with you, there is forgiveness. Oh, who could stand? Oh, if all the things that I've ever said, done, and thought were, were on a list, who could stand? But with you, there's forgiveness through Jesus Christ that you may be feared. I want you to understand this. Forgiveness from God produces a fear of God. Now, I remember the first time I was taught about the fact that we should fear the Lord. I was in a Sunday school class as a teenager and I began to debate with the Sunday school teacher that we are not to fear the Lord, we're to love the Lord. And I was highly upset that he would, he would tell me that I should fear the Lord. No, I will not fear the Lord, I will love the Lord. And I began to have this argument, but it wasn't until later in life that I realized this fear of the Lord is just this reverence that we hold because of what he's done on our behalf and what he is able to do. So let's walk through where we are in the psalm in a preparation for worship. You and I are in the depths of sorrow over the acknowledgement of sin that is in our life. We then stand before a God with a list of all the things that we have done, which we cannot stand under. And if we were to be judged by that, then we would have the noose around our neck because the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. So at just the right moment, he sent his son for those who were dead in their sin to be made into his righteousness. So through Christ, we have been redeemed. So God being rich in his mercy forgives us of our sins through his son. And so we begin to weep and rejoice and to worship for the salvation that we have in him. And if that's the case, 
then what do we think about the things that we've been saved from? We hate those things. The things that once were on our list, we would never want them to be there again. We hate those things. We hate the evil that is in the world that drags us into the depths and thus we place our life on a course of action to honor and glorify the one who has saved us from all of that. That's what the fear of the Lord is. And that's why Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's look at that quote one more time. Faith is not merely believing that Christ died for our sins, but also that he is far better than sin. We sacrifice our life. We lay our lives on the altar in sacrificial worship. As we prepare ourselves for corporate worship, we are coming, we are crying out of the depths, we are confessing the sin that is before us, and we are walking in fear and reverence of the Lord. So forgiveness does not result in flippancy about your sin. If you're flippant about the sin that's in your life, then it is clear that you do not fear the Lord. We cannot continue flippant, flippantly walking in sin. As Thomas Adam put it, no man more truly loves God than he that is most fearful to offend him. Are there areas of flippancy towards sin in your life today rather than areas of fearful reverence for the one who took your sins and bore your punishment? Number three, as we prepare our heart for worship, we commit to his word. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope my soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning, more than watchmen in the morning, waiting, waiting on the Lord. Waiting's hard, isn't it? Uh, my family, we, uh, again, thanks for letting us go on vacation. We got to go revisit what it was like to go to Disney with kids and try to take pictures 10 years later of what they look like now versus what they look like 10 years ago. And there was one thing that we got to do that was so much fun, and that was wait in line. And wait in line and wait in line. And it really doesn't make sense to wait in a two-plus-hour line for a three-minute ride, but yet we did it. And as we were waiting in line for Star Wars that broke down twice while we were in line and again while we were on the ride, <laughs> it was hard not to calculate how much money we were spending waiting. And that was depressing. The word here for wait, though, is quava. The Hebrew word that can be translated in two different ways, a binding together or gathering together to expect as in eagerly waiting for or hoping for. You see the, the shift here in there's a gathering together and waiting for. As it's used in Genesis 1, 9 through 10, this word shows up as gathered together. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So as we wait, we wait on the Lord. We capture this progression with me of worship preparation. There's a crying out, there's a confessing, and then there's a congregating in anticipation. In anticipation for what God's gonna reveal in his word. 
So as we prepare our hearts for worship, we prepare them by being in God's word. We're preparing ourselves in anticipation for what God's plan is, what he's gonna do. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, I hope. As a, one of the songs that we sing called Sovereign Over Us, it says, you're working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. God is working in the waiting. As John Piper said, he said, waiting on the Lord is the opposite of running ahead of the Lord, and it's the opposite of bailing out on the Lord. Oftentimes when we allow ourselves to be in the depths of sin and we pray and we confess and things don't change, there's a tendency to not wait and hope in the word of the Lord, but to run from the Lord, to bail out on his plan. He said it's staying at your appointed place while he says stay, or it's going at his appointed pace while he says go. It's not impetuous, and it's not despairing. So where do we wait together? In his word. Worship is waiting in his word. As Psalm 25, four through five says, make me to know your ways, O Lord, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, for you I wait all the day long. We gather to prepare our hearts for worship by first having his word written on our hearts. So if you neglect the word of God, you neglect the worship of God. If you've neglected the word of God, then you haven't prepared your heart for the worship of God. All week long, we have an opportunity to spend time in his word, to prepare our hearts for when we come together and wait in anticipation for him to reveal himself. Isn't that a beautiful picture of preparing ourselves for worship? Oh, out of the depths I cry to you. I confess these because who could stand before you? And now I wait in hopeful anticipation with those around me for you to reveal yourself in your word. Worship must be more than an emotional response to music. It must be a heartfelt response to his word. Can I say that again? Worship has got to be more than an emotional response to music. It must be a heartfelt response to his word. You can't say that you want to be spirit-led in your decisions and also not be scripturally led in your decisions. So as we prepare, finally, prepare your hearts for worship with a call for congregational hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen in the morning, more than watchmen in the morning. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. These final verses here, we see the shift where the psalmist goes from personal worship to corporate worship. He goes to a call to the congregation to hope in the Lord. Oh, Israel, call. It's a call more than watchmen in the morning. The watchmen were these men who were given the task of waiting for the sun to rise. They were on watch. They were there to guard the city or the the town or whatever it is, they were there as watchmen waiting for the sunrise. As I was reading this week and studying, 
Spurgeon told a story about the British West Indies. He said, on August 1st, 1830, the slaves in the British West Indies never went to bed. They stayed awake because at daybreak, they would be set free from their slavery. Tens of thousands of them went to their places of worship and spent the night singing praises to God, waiting for the first glimmer of daylight, like watchmen in the night. As dawn broke, they sent some up on the tops of the hills so that they could signal and shout to the others that day had broken. The light had come. It was a new day. It was a new dawn. It was a day of freedom. Those who know the evil grips of sin and sin slavery wait upon the Lord like watchmen in the night. They hope in the word of the Lord. And when morning comes, they shout and they signal to all who are around, hope in the Lord. Hope in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. As Jesus was prophesied about in Luke chapter one by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he said this in chapter one, 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy. Did it show up again? Uh, Security, we're going (laughs) to... We need you. We're going to need you to take care of this. (laughs) Papa Eddie just went, what? <laughs> he was ready. He was ready. All right. Um, we're, about, we, we're almost there, guys. I have one slide left, okay? <laughs> More than watchmen in the morning. Here we go. All right. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. As we prepare our hearts for worship, we await the sunrise. Jesus Christ the long-awaited Savior, who reveals himself, who reveals his hope in his word. Jesus is our long-awaited sunrise that brings light and life of men, who takes us from darkness into his marvelous light. Is your heart prepared for him in worship? Let me ask you one last question. Do you still love the darkness? Because the light came into the world. The Son of Man still loved the darkness, didn't they? We cannot love the darkness and have a heart prepared for worship. So I'm going to ask you, are you ready to worship? Out of the depths I cry to you? I confess, maybe you, in spite of a squirrel, need to bow your head today in repentance. Despite the distractions, you need to prepare your heart to sing to glorify God for his creation that so likes to show itself. (laughs) I'm going to ask you if you'll respond in worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the sunrise that we long for, that we wait for. Father, we ask for forgiveness of the sins that so easily entangle us, that bring us to the depths because of the isolation that we have from intimacy with you. And so right now I pray that our hearts are prepared in worship because of your word and that we will cling to you.
Father, we love you. We thank you for what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. May we respond because we have been washed clean. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand? Will you respond?